3 Board Games Podcast. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing Shadows of Brimstone. Hi, my name is Tony Carnavali, and I am not playing Too Many Bones. Ooh! Uh, my name is Bruce Garrick, and uh, Tony took the thing that I wasn't playing oh. from me. <laughs> so uh, I'm also not playing uh, Kingdom Death Monster. Right. Yes, you definitely aren't. Uh, if you're listening, Hassan Lopez, if you're listening, you if you're not listening, I don't know why I even bothered to address the people who are listening. But to the people who are listening, uh, Hassan Lopez and Mike Pullman will be back in uh, two weeks. They are currently out on assignment. So I've brought uh, Tony and Bruce here to help me out this week. Uh, we're going to talk about things that we are playing. Now here's where I'm kind of breaking the format. Because when I say... I'm not playing Shadows of Brimstone. That's actually the game I want to talk about. Oh! Because I'm kind of... I'm playing a related game. And the related game is called Organize Shadows of Brimstone. Uh-huh. And it's a, it's like a tutorial. It's something that you have to play a lot before you actually play the game called Shadows of Brimstone. Now, if you don't know what this is... Is it Shadows of Brimstone or Shadows over Brimstone? Y- you know, you're right. It's like Brimstone is casting multiple shadows. I think so it's, it's actually Shadows over the River Brimstone. <laughs> it might have been that originally. But some at some point in the development, it got streamlined down to Shadows of Brimstone. And actually, I, do you guys want some backstory, the lore here? Yeah, that's So great. you see, Brimstone is a town in the Old West. The reason I jumped into this is I, I've been fascinated lately by uh, variations of horror genres, and the one that I've been sort of casting about for a board game to play uh, is Weird West, which is the combination of westerns and horror. So this Shadows of Brimstone thing is why it is, it's a fairly popular one, and the idea is, back in the Old West, a town called Brimstone, they discovered, uh, I think it's called Darkstone, or they discovered some, like, evil crystal thing and it warped reality and let demons come in so at this town these little demons and these monsters and vampires and werewolves and whatnot that haunt the old west they are the shadows of this town brimstone that discovered this evil uh, stone substance stuff so there you go now uh, tony you would you'd said something about it how how do you know about me and shadows of brimstone like do you Uh, know what this is tony so i do only because um i've I, I, you may not know this, Tom, but I keep close tabs on what Tom is playing. <laughs> but and, I don't think I've talked much about this. Go ahead. Uh, you might have talked about. So recently, you and I and Bruce gathered for uh, some gaming in Portland, Oregon, and right before we were leaving, Tom mentioned that waiting for him back home uh. in California was a huge box that contained a bunch of components of shadows. Of brimstone, and so immediately I started doing shadows of brimstone, <laughs> and I saw that there were so many boxes involved with playing it, so many expansions, and I used to be of the mindset that uh, just you know when there's a game you want to get into that has a million expansions, just buy the main box and play that and see if you like it, and then if you like it, buy maybe one expansion once you finish all the content in the main box, and then enjoy that expansion for a little bit, and then maybe buy the next one, but. Tom buys all the expansions at once, and he sort of has converted me to doing that because you can, you don't want to risk the expansions going out of print in case you really like the game. And that's part of what happened with Shadows of Brimstone is one of the, the main expansions called, uh, they have goofy names, Swamps of Death. 
that one was out of print and it was hard to find and I wanted it because it was the one that had like zombies and there was a lot of basic uh, content in that one. So yeah, it was quite the uh, financial investment and I did go a little crazy, but I had played the core game and decided, okay, this is cool. I want to play it more. And part of the deal with Shadows of Brimstone it's a dungeon crawl. You start on one tile, and then when you get to the exit of that tile, you flip a card up, and the card tells you what tile you've just found. So you have to go through. The core game has 20 tiles, and they're two-sided, depending on what environment you're in. So basically, it has 40 different tiles. Uh, if you buy Swamps of Death, that's another 20 two-sided tiles. Uh, so that's 80 tiles. The tiles have biomes or, or environments, or they're, they're called worlds, basically. And sometimes when you come to an exit and you flip a tile, the tile can have a portal. It has a portal to another world. And instead of when you go to that portal, it can be one of the exits. Sometimes uh, it might be the only exit, I think. When you go to that, that portal, you then flip a card up from a deck, which includes all the biomes that you own. So... If I and it's a it's a dungeon crawl in that you're moving through these tiles and you're trying to get to the end tile where you fight a boss and as you progress uh, it's stacking up this little deck of of cards that will come into effect when you fight the boss. So the longer you take to fight the boss, the more powerful he's going to get with these effects that you don't know what they're going to be. The little deck of cards is stacking up. So you're trying to get to through this this dungeon tiles to get to this boss as quickly as you can, but sometimes there will be detours to other worlds. And what that portal leads to is determined by what you own. So if I only have one additional set, like if I only have Swamps of Death, every single portal will go to the swamps. And who wants that, right? Who wants to know what's going to be behind that portal? The more stuff you own, the more possibilities there are behind each portal. So I went a little bit crazy. I've got like five different other worlds. Uh, you can even buy little monster expansions. And the problem with Shadows of Brimstone is it got hugely successful a long time ago. I say a long time ago, maybe five, six years. And, and Flying Frog Productions, who makes this silly thing, uh, they've just gone batshit just releasing content for it. And they've currently got a Viking Kickstarter out now where you can go to a Viking world. Uh, so I went crazy, bought all this stuff, and the thing is, it's all, it's a miniature boondoggle. It's all built and priced because it comes with miniatures that you have to put together, and they're not even that good. They're pretty chintzy. Like, they're poor craftsmanship. They don't always fit together. The sculpts are kind of primitive and dorky looking. Uh, there's no thought given in terms of, like, how sturdy they are, whether or not they'll even stand up on a base. So they're constantly... That's terrible. Okay, Garrick... You have a point, <laughs> but here's the deal. Um, it's exactly what I wanted because this this idea of weird west is just a uh, it's a it's a casserole of just random horror nonsense thrown together where anything can happen. So when I play, I'm in some Old West mines, and I've got my saloon girl and my priest and my U.S. Marshal and my bandito. That's my party, and they've leveled up over different adventures, and they're just going down in these mines, and they're maybe fighting, you know, rats or uh, like the, there's the evil tribe that got corrupted by the Darkstone of Native Americans, the Black Fang tribe. So maybe they're fighting them, maybe there's outlaws, but at a certain point, they come to a magic door. 
And on the other side, there could be werewolves or vampires or demon cultists. There could be – it could be hell, like a place with fire elementals and there's fire all over. It could be a, a lair of succubuses. Uh, Suck you by. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so it, it sounds terrible, Garrick, and it's just huge and messy and it sprawls, but that's kind of the point. And it's really silly and it's chintzy. But it's just it's just random nonsense, which is exactly what I was looking for. I want my party of cowboys to just deal with random nonsense from other genres. They can find a derelict spaceship, which reminds me of uh, Barrier Peaks. Good? Pardon? Oh yeah, oh yeah, Expedition of the Barrier Peaks. That's so, that's classic. It's that kind uh, of thing, Garrick. When we were kids playing Dungeons and Dragons, who knew what the DM was going to come up with? And now instead of a DM, I've just got this huge tsunami of random nonsense and anything can happen and it, and it kind of replicates this idea of being a, a dumb kid and thinking oh is there going to be a dragon or a goblin back there i'm super excited to find out what it is why uh, just play talisman uh, <laughs> well the thing is garrick the gameplay the actual game design mm -hmm. in shadows mm -hmm. of brimstone it's better than talisman talisman is just roll and move mm -hmm. but it's your standard just move dudes on tiles and then monsters pop up and you punch away their hit points okay uh so there's no real there's no real uh, like you and i garrick played that thing called dungeon alliance that andrew Parks yes. made right. and that has some really cool game design ideas yeah, really shadows like of brimstone nothing like that you're just walking dudes around their movement and you're punching hit points away and you're rolling to see if your six shooter hit um so, so is it the is it I'm sorry to interrupt but I just, no, no. I'm trying to get you more focused on this is it the is it the possibility that really anything could happen and and it's that unknown that you like or is it's it exactly the, is, that and the cheap thing is Garrick you have to pay for the breadth of possibility otherwise mm. the possibility space is narrow it's wow. kind of a pay to win like a pay to play mm -hmm. thing it's it's really mm -hmm. weird I don't regret the purchase by mm -hmm. the way mm -hmm. uh, okay. Here's my issue with it, and the reason yeah. that I started off saying I'm not playing, I have played very little Shadows of Brimstone because okay. organizing this stuff, it's mm. a logistical nightmare. I mean, right. landing the Allied forces in Normandy in 1944, that was easy compared to dealing with a dozen different expansions and monsters and oh, miniatures yeah. and map yeah. tiles and monster mm -hmm. cards and decks of cards. It is just insane. So all that I have done with Shadows of Brimstone is I played a little bit with the core set, bought a bunch of stuff, and then spent literally hours organizing that stuff. Why didn't and, you just and, go to Broken Token and get the Shadows of Shadows of Brimstone organizer? Not even Broken Token can handle Shadows of Brimstone. Oh, oh, they could, they could handle Gloomhaven, but not yeah. <laughs> Shadows of Brimstone. Wow. And the thing is, you know, they they couldn't possibly know how much or what Shadows of Brimstone content any given person has. So you've mm -hmm. got to come up with your own solution for organizing oh. stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been playing is uh, buy a big old plastic bin. It's like the size of a milk crate that you, mm -hmm. know, you used to keep your albums in. And it has hanging folders in it. And then buy a bunch of folders in which each folder has one map tile. And mm. It's double-sided, so the little tab on top of the folder tells me what's on either side. Oh, my oh God. God. That's a big thing right there. I've bought boxes for cards with little uh, tabs, you know, dividers, mm -hmm. to divide the cards by different worlds, by different yeah. difficulty levels, mm -hmm. by different item sets. Oh, yeah. Um, and all the actual boxes that the game came in, and I've got so many extras of those, those just hold tokens. But here's the issue. 
all of these miniatures, I have no idea what to do with them. So what I'd been doing is when I built it, I would just put it up on the bookshelf in front of some of my books, and I would have a couple of them up there. Now my bookshelf looks like a 10-year-old boy has invaded and put all his toys up there. It's uh -huh. It is ridiculous. And I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what else, where else to put the silly things. Can I make uh, a suggestion? Yes, please do. Uh, how big are they? Um, a couple inch and a half high. You know, they're little tiny. They're, they're like those green plastic army men that we played with when we were 10. Okay. This might work. Yes. Plano boxes. What's a Plano box? Like fishing tackle boxes? Yeah. I might have to look into that. Because so, the thing is, you go, go ahead. Like you'll the lay them down that, in there, right? Yeah. So the reason that I know that is that Plano is the uh, preferred or has been preferred for many decades, the preferred storage solution for Advanced Squad Leader. Wait, Squad Leader has miniatures? No, it doesn't. But it has so many counters. So this is another problem. Ah. So I have the same. So <clears throat> your Shadows of Brimstone is my Advanced Squad Leader. And now, you are... showed us Advanced Squad Leader, and it just looked like a big binder. So it's yes. mainly manuals, right? What else are you having to deal with? So there's oh. tokens. Well, there's counters and maps. And, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw in the in the, um, in in one of the rooms where I had the games, you know, out on display, but there are probably 20 different boxes full of game content for that game. And each box has counters and rules and maps and so, for example, uh, you know, the first module for Advanced Squad Leader, I mean, you have the rules, right? You have the rule book, but then you have mm -hmm. to buy the counters to, to play the game. So the first module is Beyond Valor, so that has the Russians and the Germans, and that's it, right? Then you have modules for the Americans, there's Yanks, uh, the Japanese have Bushido, there's Gung Ho. Uh, is it Gung Ho? Yeah, I think it's Gung Ho. Uh, which is the Marines. So the Americans, the American <clears throat> infantry is in Yanks, but the Marines are in gung-ho. Then the, the Finns are in Hakapale. The uh, <laughs> Axis miners are in um, Armies of Oblivion. The Allied miners are in Doom Battalions. Hollow and Legion each of is... these is like a set of, of tokens representing units? Is that the yes. idea? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, and then there's <clears throat> there's all sorts of crazy stuff. Like somebody decided that they, uh, you know, they're a little fetishistic, so they decided that they were going to make uh, a set of the, the SS counters, except in white on black, because it's SS. So uh, that was uh, a module. Um, they have uh, a croix de guerre is the French. Real quick, Eric, does, does uh, Advanced Squad Leader not include SS units? Like intentionally? It does. It does. It does. Okay, okay. Right. Oh, it has but someone just wanted to mod a color scheme. Correct. I just looked up, um, Bruce mentioned the first scenario, or the, the first module of, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, Advanced Squad Leader, Beyond Valor. Mm -hmm. Tom? Yes? I want you right now to take a guess. How much does Beyond Valor cost? So I'm assuming it's out of print. Can, nope, can it's I... in print. It's in print. Oh, oh, it's in print. Seventy nine ninety nine. $129.99. $120. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> fortunately... Uh, I'm sure that that includes the rules for how to play Advanced Squad Leader, right, Bruce? Uh, it doesn't conclude any rules. Oh. Oh, no rules. Okay. Well, I'm sure that there's some uh, very sophisticated plastic miniatures with uh, full articulated joints. Uh, they're probably pre-painted. Is that the case, Bruce? No, not at all. Oh. So, like, what actual materials come with Beyond Valor? A bunch of counters, some maps... And uh, what else? Oh, scenario cards. You always get scenario cards. Isn't that, though, in, in war game design, like a lot of times you're paying for the design. 
right? It, it, not just the components. Mm, I, I don't know about that. I mean, you have to have the components to play. I guess Advanced Squad Leader is a very and I, I'll just I'll segue into this for, for a little bit because yes. um, I've, I've I've just had a uh, I've just had a complete conversion to Advanced Squad Leader again for like the fifth time in my life. Mm -hmm. But um, the game is really uh, the first Squad Leader was a game was it a game where you bought a box and it had rules and it had maps and it had counters and you just played it and then there were they were um uh, expansions there was uh cross of iron crescendo of doom and then gi and bullet victory um but what what happened was when they revised the game they just revised the rules and then they had to put out all of you know it's, it's basically just let's let's try to make the make world war ii uh in as much detail as possible at the tactical level. And so a million modules came out. And that's that's a little different from how most war games are because what if if a if a designer gets a, a, a system, you know, that that works well for something, often that the company will then just, you know, reskin that system to a different situation, right? You've, you know, oh this thing this this works for the Battle of the Bulge, so let's make it work for right. you know the Russian front or something like that. Um but advanced squad leaders like specifically designed so that you have a rule book which you then can apply to you know a whole bunch of sort of modular things i mean if you wanted to just play the um italians versus the french you could probably do that um although you yeah you could probably do that if and so you don't it doesn't require all of the things to play just the things that you want and when you sit down to play, you're deciding. It's not like Shadows of Brimstone where I roll a die and, oh, I need my Hellfire expansion. You're deciding, okay, I'm the French, you're the Italians, right? Like you know in advance these are the pieces we need. Right. Well, you, you say decide with your opponent, right? So I, I actually played uh, – we have a, a club here in Portland that I just found out about that uh, plays uh, Advanced Squad Leader on the every third – I think it's every third Saturday at Guardian Games. And uh, – I found out about it and I went and I played. I had a very good time uh, playing with uh, this uh, guy Harry. Uh, he was just getting into Advanced Cloud Leader. It was a blast. We had there were other there were like I think four other games going, and um, ahead of time, like the night before, he said, "Hey, I'm just getting started. I'm not, you know, I haven't read the uh, vehicle rules. Is there an all infantry scenario we could play?" And I said, "Hey, that'd be great. Um, how about one of the first ones, Hedgehog of Peepsk?" And so he said, "Great." And then he looked at it and saw that uh, the Germans had like seven guys and the Russians had like 30-something. So he decided to play the Russians. <laughs> but um, So you're playing uh, scenarios and it's not like Warhammer where it's like, I'm going to bring my orc no, army and you bring no, your dark el Eldar no, army. Okay. There's millions. And there's, there's, actually, there's actually websites on uh, the internet that uh, rate the scenarios and how well balanced they are, and you can you can record your plays and and comments, and you know there's you can people can say oh I think this has been there's you know scenarios that that have been played hundreds of times or thousands of times, and and you can see how many times each side wins. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, stuff that goes into kind of scenario. You can, you can have a, a scenario that takes forever or a scenario that <clears throat> that takes just a few hours. So logistically, Bruce, very, though, it, oh go ahead. Oh go sorry, ahead, I'm always very curious about. Um, what it's like to play a board game with a total stranger, because that's something that I would probably never want to do unless they were friends of a friend. Like, yep. for instance, if, if Bruce sure. hosted a game at night and two people I didn't know came over, but they were friends with Bruce, I'm fine with that. But just playing one on one with somebody who I'd never met before, mm -hmm. uh, to me, that's something that does not super appeal to me. I'm wondering how, what that experience was like for you. 
So I got to tell you, I have done that quite a few times with Advanced Squad Leader because every time I go to some you know new place, uh, I remember when I went to medical school, I was in uh, Illinois and, and there was a group uh, near where I was. And um, then I went to uh, North Carolina and there was a group there and um, you know, I played there and then I was, you know, uh, when I came here now, now I've played, uh, here and, <clears throat> and in between various places, you know, in, in, when I was in Michigan, there was a, there was a group of people that I played with regularly. And you know, what's weird. I've never had a bad experience with that. Wow. Never. Not one time. Like every time I've played, the person has been nice, courteous, seemed like a good person. Like a, just a friendly um, there was no weird sort of like uh, anger about losing or it was just it's it, it's a it's an interesting phenomenon. And I think that that has actually has to do a lot with advanced squad leader because right. the people that get into this thing are really there's a lot of camaraderie around it and they want people to like the game and they like the game and you sort of share your love for the game. And, you know, if you lose, that sucks. But, you know, hey, I'm glad to meet you and hey let's play a game you know in a couple weeks um there's a guy on the on the in the group that uh wants to go do the do the um the gun and vehicle rules uh and i said uh you know well let's why don't we get together and just talk about them and we can like pick out a scenario he's like oh yeah hey let's do it over lunch i'm like that sounds great and and i guarantee you that if we go to lunch it'll be a good time that's just how it is cool I, i can't explain it can't explain it so logistically, though, it doesn't sound like you have the same. It sounds like you just need a lot of room and different boxes. Mm. You need different boxes, but I mean, you need a lot of different boxes. I don't think you guys saw in the in the basement where I have all my counters, because uh, those boxes take a lot of space. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you need to have those little plane. The Plano boxes. You should look it up. They're made in Plano, Texas. And, oh, uh, that's why they're called Plano boxes. I've oh, I never knew that. <laughs> I've learned something today. Yeah, me too. And uh, and and what what's great about those, Tom, for your for your um, miniature needs? Oh, I've even that, got some of these. Okay, go ahead. But what, yeah. yeah, so you can. They have they have adjustable. Um, they have adjustable uh, dividers. dividers. Right. You yeah. set the size of the different set compartments. The so, yeah, right. So right. Okay. You have a big miniature. You can. You know, so you, you can play. So that's that's my suggestion to you for your uh, for your uh, shadows over Camelot problem. <laughs> now, now T Zone, you live in New York. Bruce has the advantage of a, a a lovely house in Portland and a very tolerant wife. Uh, hmm. I've got like a garage and I've got closets here. T Zone, you Tony, you live in New York City. What yes. does that mean logistically in terms of what games you can have? Like, what would happen if you wanted to get into Shadows of Brimstone or Advanced Squad Leader? Well, that would be uh, tricky. I don't have that much space. I'd have to figure out where to store those games. So right now I'm sitting in the largest room in my apartment. It's one of, charitably, you could say one of three rooms, counting the bathroom, which is about the size of a large phone booth. <laughs> uh, the The main living room that I'm sitting in is approximately... Uh, I actually was going to measure it with a tape measure before I got on the podcast, but I didn't manage to do that. But I mean, I think it's it's about I would have to say 15 feet by 12 feet. I think mm-hmm. is in a, a reasonable estimate. Uh, and then my bedroom is about half that size, maybe a uh, a little bit more than a third of that size. So um, I don't have much space. I have very little space. And that's just a fact of life in New York, right? It's a well. Uh, I live in a very 
nice neighborhood in Brooklyn and uh, there are compromise. You always have to make a compromise in New York unless you're fabulously wealthy. And uh, so the compromise I made was less space, but a really nice neighborhood. My girlfriend uh, made the compromise of a, a, a quite nice, large apartment, but she's in a neighborhood that's a little bit farther out in Brooklyn, not quite as nice. And she has a roommate. I live by myself. Maybe she so, could store some of your Shadows of Brimstone miniatures over yeah, there. Yeah, what you should. Uh, That's you actually should a great idea. To, yeah. I'm going to float that by her and her roommate and see <laughs> how they feel about it. Um, but so yeah, so I have these. Um, basically, my my storage for games is this. I have these two uh, shelving units. These these plastic shelving units made by a company called Sterilite, which you're probably familiar with, mm -hmm. which I really like. I had a couple of them in Los Angeles when I lived there, and I didn't move them across the country. I sold those before I left, and then when I moved here, I bought some identical units. They're these sort of modular, very heavy-duty plastic shelving units, and I do have high ceilings, and so I bought three or four of them, but I have them... Uh, set up so that three or four units of, of shelving is actually taking up the footprint of only two units because you can, like, stack them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have a whole bunch of uh, games on that. But also, I'm in a, I live in a building that was built in 1849. That's pre-Civil War, which is insane. <laughs> and uh, what happens over, it turns out, over uh, 200 years is that houses' uh, floors kind of start uh, slanting because the house kind of settles. Mm. And so these shelving units are pushed up against the wall, but because the floor is uh, a, bit of, a bit of an incline, I have to wedge these shims uh, <laughs> under the front part of the uh, shelves mm -hmm. so that the games don't just slide out off the shelves and onto the floor. Mm. Uh, it's pretty crazy the stuff that you have to put up with in New, <laughs> in New York if you're not wow. totally um, but anyway, so I have, uh, yeah, so that's my kind of storage solution for, for board games. I just have these two th things and I, my collection, I think my girlfriend would say it is, I think she would not call it small, but I would call it relatively small, uh, especially compared to what Bruce currently has. Tom has quite a library of games, but, um, I think Tom is, uh, more tuned in to kind of thinning out his, he, his games if he plays one that he decides he doesn't like. Bruce has quite a, such a historical record of war games that it's just it's it made I made me so jealous of the space. Just the the uh, the uh, living in a part of the country where you can have that kind of space and collect that kind of stuff is uh, so cool to me. And one of the main reasons that I hope maybe one day I'll get out of New York. It's it, it, Bruce's place is like a museum, isn't it? Like going it really through is. all of those things. Yeah, in a good way. Now, here's where I'm horrified at Garrick's collection. Uh-oh. He stores them vertically. Oh! Why do you hate that? That's a great... I think that's great. Well, all this stuff tumbles to the bottom. The boards will warp. Uh, mm. And they're mm -hmm. not books. You might confuse mm. them with books. Mm. <laughs> you'll take one out to read, and you'll be like, oh, my God, there are no pages. What, where, did, where did this go? So, I mean, don't – I just I, – I've actually – it doesn't really bother me that much, but don't don't some of the boards warp, or is that not no, an they, issue, Garrick? It's not. You know, it's a very interesting. I, and and I, can, I can test your theory uh -huh. uh, by the fact that I have games in my, in my collection that I've had for 40 years. 40? 40, 40 years. 40 years. And you know what? 
boards haven't warped. Four zero years. Yes, yet. Yet. Now, next year they may all be warped. I doubt that's the case, but there's a non-zero chance that that could happen. Um, I did, but interestingly, I and I want to I want to say, Tom, I thought of you immediately when this when this happened. I have an old copy of uh, well, I have old copies of several things that are that are in shrink. Like I I went because of the because of the um, intermittent uh, availability of advanced squad leader stuff. Sometimes I buy multiple copies just in case you know it goes out of print and I want to sell an extra one or I lose counters and want to you know. So I just I have keep some spares. Okay. And I opened a copy of something that I had shrink wrapped that I had bought, I think, in 2003. And one of the things in Advanced Squad Leader that it didn't occur to me that it would happen in any other game, but it happened in this game, because the Advanced Squad Leader rulebook is a is a three ring binder, the sheets that you get in that box, right? The 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 box with the extra rules, because each each uh, module usually comes with you know maybe 20 or 30. Uh, loose leaf sheets, three hole punch, so you can put them into into your binder. And as you buy more modules, you get more rules. Um, but uh, for example, if you're buying the desert module, you need the desert rules, and the desert rules are the desert module, and you put it in. You just got the new chapter in your your module. But those loose leaf pages were kind of bent because not 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 mm. creased, but the, but the like they had been sitting on you know on their side for so long that at the bottom they just kind of curved. Right, and I thought, right. huh? Yep. Tom, Chick may have a point. And yep. you know what happened? What you you put them in the binder and they flattened out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, well, it, this is not this is a real estate intensive hobby, one way, mm-hmm. or, no matter mm-hmm. how you look at it. I think. Uh, T Zone, what uh, what's going on with your collection though? Like, are are there times where you're like, eh, I would buy this, but I won't for the space. Yes, and I'll tell you two times recently that I did that. The first time was uh, I'd been resisting Gloomhaven for a long time. Tom did a very good job of dissuading me from Gloomhaven. But Bruce, like a demon from the depths, emerged <laughs> and issued a stirring defense. Not a defense, an advocacy. Yeah, he was an evangelist for email. it. It was so good. It was so effective. I mean, so many people love Gloomhaven, but their words mean nothing to me. But then Bruce... The way he put it, and the fact that I respect Bruce's taste in games, uh, made made his uh, it made his screed so effective that I was about to buy Gloomhaven, and then I did a little bit of research, and I found out that really, if you're going to buy Gloomhaven, mm-hmm. you want to get the Broken Token yep. Organizer, which costs something like eighty dollars. Yeah, yeah, bro- uh, Gloomhaven is not a hundred and forty dollar game; it's a two hundred and twenty dollar game. Yes. Fortunately, Gloomhaven now you can often get for about 100 bucks. Yeah. But the prospect of spending another entire board game's worth of money mm-hmm. on storage. And beyond that, I read, I started thinking about it. I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll get this, this Broken Token brand organizer. By the way, mm-hmm. I hate the name of their company, Broken Token. I don't want to think about my tokens breaking. Oh, now that you mention that, that is yeah. horrible, isn't it? Yeah, it is kind of, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I thought about it. I looked at it. And then I read in the Amazon reviews, somebody gave it a good review. They loved it. Mm-hmm. But in their description, they said something about the amount of time it took yeah. to assemble yes. the organizer, yes. not the game, yes. but the organizer. Right. 
How many is, hours, Bruce, did it take you to assemble the broken token Gloomhaven organizer? Oh, I didn't know you even had this, Bruce. I know you were uh, talking it up, but your copy oh, yeah. of Gloomhaven has the broken token organizer. Well, I made it, yeah. And I'll tell, okay. you, I'll tell you a very short story about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had invited a friend, actually, uh, our friend Will, uh, uh, Tom, you've met before. Yeah. Um, he came uh, to visit and uh, he wanted to play Gloomhaven. And I said, that's great. I don't have uh, I don't have it set up yet or anything. It's just it's in the box and I have the... The, uh, I've been starting to put together the the organizer. He said, "Well, let's let's get it together." And says, "You know, let's let's do it." And uh, so we had dinner, and you know, we did whatever we were doing, and then we sat down, and it was probably like six p.m. And I had some of the things that I had put together, and I was like, "Okay, here's you know this thing." And there's a the broken token even has a video of you know where to put all the stuff. And he's like, "Okay, give me the, give me those yellow things. Okay, put those over here." And then, "Hey, do you have do you have thing E?" And I was like, "No, I don't have E made yet." He's like, "Okay, we'll make E." And so, you know, get the Elmer's glue in the ball. So when you put it all together, you need Ugh. glue, Elmer's yeah. glue. Oh, yeah. Out of here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you need Elmer's glue. You need it because otherwise it'll, it'll uh, while it's tight, it, it, it will. Some things will come out if you don't glue them. So you have to glue and say, so let it sit for a little bit. You know, glue, Elmer's glue doesn't take that long to, to, to dry, but you still need to let it. So we had this little thing going and we we're kind of moving stuff around like, OK, yeah, give me give me number, you know, give me number 13 or K or this thing or whatever. So I, I don't can't remember. It was like 11 p.m. I think we started at like 6.30. I think by 11 p.m. we were done, and we had everything organized. And in the box, we'd watch the little broken token video of how to put it in your box. They have a very nice video about that. And then we went to sleep, and we never played Gloomhaven. 6.30 <laughs> to 11. Yeah, Four something like that. and a half hours. Yeah, well, at least. Yeah. Two Which people. Is- yeah. yeah, and you even had help, yeah. And that's yeah. exactly what I've been going through with Shadows of Brimstone, but Ugh. without those instructions. Mm. There was nothing telling me mm-hmm. thir- piece 13 fits with slot E into piece right. 4. Yeah, none right. of that. All of it's right. improvised for me. Yeah. 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 See, I think so. about that stuff, like, to me, collecting a lot of games, uh, I think that's great. I celebrate it. I wish I could collect more. Mm-hmm. Spending hours playing games, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love games. Mm-hmm. For me... The line that I don't want to cross, the line when it crosses from a fun, productive hobby, a positive thing in my life, mm-hmm. to a compulsion, mm-hmm. an addiction, mm-hmm. and a negative force is when mm-hmm. I think about spending $80 and five and a half hours mm-hmm. on an organizer and going to CVS and buying a bottle of <laughs> Elmer's glue. I want to – T-Zone, I totally understand that sentiment, uh, and for the most part, I agree, and this might even be just a rationalization on my part. But for me, there are some games where – and I don't know that uh, – this doesn't necessarily apply to Shadows of Brimstone or uh, Gloomhaven, but when I really like a game, I don't mind this idea of uh, – taking it apart and then putting it back together for maximum efficiency, like spending time organizationally with it. Uh, It's like when you get a CCG or something, there's that whole taxonomy of how you organize your cards. And if I care for a game enough, I actually enjoy that. If you like it enough, that's the key word. Well, here's the thing with Shadows of Brimstone. I don't know if I like it enough yet, so maybe I'll like it enough and all that time would have been worthwhile. Maybe. Maybe, but you don't know. And <laughs> you're right. I believe what Bruce said was Gloomhaven is only worth getting if you're going to get the broken token organizer. And there's just no way I was going to do that. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I also want to want to say – go ahead, Tom. Well, I just I, – I don't have the broken token organizer. And I uh, – just because I've spent so much time with these kinds of games and I, I don't feel that I need it. I think it would be super useful. 
but I also don't play it with people. Like yeah. I think one of the important things organizationally with a multiplayer game is you want to do everything you can yes. to minimize the space of time between saying, okay, here's what we're playing, and the first player taking his or her move. Yeah. Everything you can do to minimize that, that amount of time. In a solitaire game, though, it's just if I can find it, as long as I know where it is, yeah. uh, I'm not that – because I, once I sit down to play something, I, I'm in no particular hurry. So then here's the second thing yep. that mm -hmm. I thought about buying, and if I had more space, I might have bought it, but then ultimately I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, it, it actually relates to Gloomhaven because many people ask Tom, okay, Tom, <laughs> uh, you don't like Gloomhaven, which is the number one game in the world in history, yes. in the history of humanity. <laughs> you don't like that game. So, Tom, what do you like better than Gloomhaven, huh? They say it all challengingly, and Tom says... Well, I like this game, Too Many Bones. Ugh. And Tom has talked a lot about this game, Too Many Bones. And so then I looked into Too Many Bones, and mm -hmm. I saw that, once again, it's one of these games with, like, ten boxes that you have to buy if you want the whole thing. And I also don't like the name. Here's another thing. I, I, apparently I'm very sensitive to names mm -hmm. because I don't like the name Too Many Bones. I know. Because, because it Go is ahead. a dice game. And yeah. it's almost like the name of the game is saying... Okay, we realized that we designed this game wrong. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, that was, exactly. you know what? That was my joke that I was going to use at the very beginning of this podcast when Tom said I was playing too many bones. I was like, oh, I, why would you play a game called Too Much Downtime or a game called Too Little Gameplay? Yeah, or exactly. or buy a t a t an organizer from Broken Token. It's like, would you take <laughs> your car to a mechanic who calls himself Mechanical Issues? Mechanical <laughs> Troubles? <laughs> busted Down Vehicle? So to, to just to be real quick, to be fair, uh, every die in Too Many Bones. Uh, most eyes have uh, crossed bones that represent failure. Uh, so, and your failures stack up, and eventually you ca cash them in. But there's this, uh, this idea that you're accumulating failures as you play, and that's what bones references. That's I think more than the dice. Oh, it's like that. It's that. It's that. This is like a skull and crossbones or something. Yes, exactly, but without the skull. Well, they should have thought about the additional implications of the phrase too many bones before yeah, right. they named it that. You know, real, something else I hate about too many bones. I mean, I don't hate the name. Uh, and by the way, real quick, I actually like Gloomhaven. I have serious issues with it. Uh, I like what it's doing. It's pretty low on the list of things I want to play, but I don't necessarily dislike Gloomhaven. I just have real problems with it. Um, but here's another thing, T-Zone. In addition to the name too many bones, I hate the artwork in it. You're playing these weird, ugly little like oh, gnome. I like it creature elf things that look like goblins or the, the artwork's just weird and it's, that's one of the things i like about it you do okay because huh. there are enough games there there are plenty of games where you can play a strapping lumberjack with an axe but i like that in too many bones you play this weird sickly looking little elf i think that's so cool all right do you, do you know the game dungeon dungeon degenerates i was about yeah. to say yeah okay i do and i looked so, i looked into getting it it, it sounded really cool and uh, I liked that it was going off that old-timey Warhammer art. There's a specific Warhammer artist whose name I can't remember. He also did the art. Who? No, not Arkham. It, but it, it is, is Arkham style. Like, it is that yeah, same totally weird Arkham kind of style. style. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. It's like Arkham meets – hold on. I'm going to look up the name of this other guy. He did the illustration. Boris Vallejo. No. <laughs> Franz, no. Franz Ferdinand. Hold on. No. <laughs> I want people to know who this guy was named. Okay, he did this, the illustrations for this series called Steve Jackson's Sorcery, which was – oh, John Blanche. Okay. Uh, Dungeon, De Dungeon Degenerates, the artwork of Dungeon Degenerates is R. Crumb meets John Blanche. Okay. Anyone can look that up, and I guarantee that I'm 100% right. Anyway, uh, 
it was so appealing to me. It looked really cool. What did not appeal to me were the lurid, garish colors. And oh, here's the sure. Thing. Yeah. I almost got to. I, I was. It's not just an aesthetic thing for me. Uh, like I think they look gross, and I don't like it. I get what they were going for, but I didn't. I didn't love it aesthetically. But just physically, I was looking. I, I looked at pictures of the board online, mm-hmm. and I looked at them, and I like the. I like the actual line work. I like the the technique of that artist. I love Robert Crumb, and I love John Blanche, and so it's like a perfect. All the art is so cool. But those colors, that neon. it just really felt like if I looked at them long enough, I was going to get a migraine. It mm, really sure. felt that way. Sure, I can understand that. I mean, it's a very aggressive palette, yeah. I'll yeah. say. Yeah. How, uh, is it good? Is it a great game? Uh, no, but uh, mm. it's 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 unique. Uh, I just love the – it's got an ugly aesthetic, which I really like, versus the aesthetic of Too Many Bones. Uh, the colors I don't mind. Um it's a decent game. It's fine, and I like how uh, it's focused on an overworld map, exploring an overworld map that evolves and changes as you play. Uh, but it's got some issues. I mean, you can tell that the people who made it are first and foremost artists, and then second mm-hmm. game designers. Hmm. Um, but I, you know what? I like it better than Gloomhaven. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, T Zone, I do want to talk about. So, did you recent? Did you say you recently got some new games? By the way added things to your collection uh you're on mute i think hello yes yeah hi there <laughs> yes sorry so uh so after visiting bruce in portland um i bought an advanced uh, squad leader what's that <laughs> bought an advanced squad leader i so here's the thing about advanced squad leader I I really love what they're going for, but there's no way I'm gonna get into getting the binder of rules separately. And also, you have to play it with somebody. Exactly, that's of... the barrier for me. Is games yeah. like that? I would let Netrunner. I'd love to get into, but you need another person who's as invested in it as you are. Yes, yeah. Exactly. There so are anyway, tons of ASL people in New York. But please continue. I don't want to derail it. <laughs> I'm but... sure there are, but I don't want to meet them. Oh, they... <laughs> um, okay. So. I yeah so Bruce's collection of of war games and his uh is is just staggering and so cool and um it there's a couple war games which I have already enjoyed and there's this one Skies Above the Reich which sounded really cool and I so I bought Skies Above the Reich which is a solitaire World War II air combat game which is still in shrink wrap I can't wait to play it oh. but well, I mean apparently I can wait to play it because I'm <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. But uh, I'm I'm excited someday to play that game. Um, let's see. I've bought recently also. There's a series of card games, pretty casual uh, card games that try to simulate the escape the room experience. Yeah, right, right. Called Unlock. Yep. And there was there's one that came out that's themed on the Wizard of Oz, and I'm a big fan of the Wizard of Oz. And I thought I could play it with, maybe with my girlfriend who also likes the Wizard of Oz, so I have that sitting in shrink wrap. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. I know there's more that I've recently bought, but like I, I do have this. Oh, I bought all the Apocrypha games and all the expansions because I really oh. like the Pathfinder Adventure card games. And I like, what's his name? The guy who designed all that stuff? Mike, Mike Selinker. I think he's yeah. a really smart designer. Uh, Apocrypha, um, I th- I'd be real curious what you think of it. I, I adore Apocrypha, but it's not for everyone. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, I also bought a German uh, dice game, which is very Ugh. abstract, called Ganz Schön Clever, oh, which is Ugh. just like a. Uh, yeah, these guys love theming. They hate. Yeah, that's nice <laughs> game. 
Oh, I can't stand that game. I hate that game so hard. <laughs> oh, I don't. I uh, even refuse to learn the name. Yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. Why do you Gun? hate it, Tom? Uh, well, we played it wrong. When my friend brought it over, she it, it's supposed to be like for two to four players, one of those games like that. And we had a fifth person who wanted to play. And she was like, yeah, we'll just add in this fifth person. And it completely screwed up any sense of balance or tuning. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, she meant well. Uh, and it's also just really abstract. And if, you, if you're going to play Yahtzee, you know what? Just go play Yahtzee. Or Elder Sign. Exactly. Ooh. It has theming in Elder Sign. Exactly. Yeah, Lovecraft Yahtzee. Right, right. So I, to be fair, I... I I haven't played it correctly, so I uh, shouldn't judge it too harshly at this point. Yeah. Okay. All right, so T-Zone, uh, real quick, you do play Ambush. Like, you've played that a few times. You've written about it at quarter3.com. What's the deal? Why are you playing a game that was made back in 1972? Yes, great question. Oh, and that also, uh, another way uh, I could have segued into that <laughs> was I also recently on eBay bought... Um, uh, Battle Him and Leatherneck, which are Pacific Theater mm. spinoffs of Ambush. But you but already anyway. own them, right? What's that? Did you already own them? I, uh, are, I already owned the entire Ambush collection, but I did not have Battle Him or Leatherneck. Oh, I thought you had everything, and you were just buying more. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I thought you were trying to like corner the market on it. Oh God, no, <laughs> no. Uh, so anyway, Ambush. Ambush is, um, and I'm very curious to hear what what Bruce thinks about it, but. Mm -hmm. I'll just tell you what I think about it first. Ambush is a game from, I believe, 1983? Yeah, sounds right. Uh, from a little company called Victory Games that was based here in New York City, which um, at some point was an imprint of Avalon Hill. I, I don't remember whether yeah, it, was it was before or during the Ambush production, but it's a... Uh, World no, it was, it was, Victory Games was a wholly owned subsidiary of Avalon Hill. Ah, okay. So they, they basically... That, they. They were started by Avalon Hill, and they died under Avalon Hill. Got it. Got it. So it's a solitaire only. Well, actually, that's not true. I believe there are multiplayer rules. but it's There are, but it's, 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 it loses the whole point. Yeah, yeah. It's a solitaire World War II uh, squad combat game, scenario-based, um, and it is so innovative mm -hmm. and so in my opinion, brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, it's so well designed. Mm -hmm. um, and I really can't get enough of it, although, again, that's uh, hyperbole because I've played one <laughs> scenario. But um, it's it's so, so cool. There's this whole system where you move across a map and you do have to look up each hex you move into, which some might think is laborious, but I think it's this very tense moment where you move your squad into a hex and then you have to cross-reference the hex you moved into with a with a little uh, like uh, a reference chart and then it, that yeah, might little holes you, cut in it that's right and that might direct you to a book a paragraph and a book of full of paragraphs mm -hmm. and there's writing in the book and sometimes yeah. there's writing about what your squad might see or hear mm -hmm. sometimes there's writing that says you know you see a squad of of uh, german soldiers pop up and then there's rules for what the german soldiers do yep. and it's basically it's it's like uh, kind of a, a one-player uh, computer game about World War II, but it was made in 1983 before computer games were particularly sophisticated. And it's so well-designed and so smart, and there's nothing really like it. There hasn't been anything like it since they stopped making it. And there were a few uh, expansion modules for it, all of which I have and all of which I intend to play through someday. And uh, 
it's just uh, really, really cool. And I'm curious to hear Bruce's take on Ambush um, and why he thinks it was... When was Squad Leader uh, released initially? 77. Oh, 77. Okay, so Ambush, Bruce, do you think... My theory is Ambush was somebody's idea of, like, I'm going to make a solitaire squad leader. Do yeah. you think that's how it came about? I, it's, there's no doubt. I think it's actually on record that that's, that's why okay. they designed the game. I mean, it, <clears throat> when... when, when uh, Squad Leader came out, and and um, you know the the Avalon Hill. Avalon Hill, when when Squad Leader came out, they were there became a, a group of people became so enamored with Squad Leader that uh, they would send hate mail to Avalon Hill anytime they published anything that was not Squad Leader related. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, serious. I mean, it was it was it, it's, it's, there's some funny stories, but but. Um, but the it, it was discussed, I think, in the in at the time, and it was actually Origins. I want to say Origins '83 was in Detroit, and which is where I grew up, and uh, I went to that Origins. I think it was. I can't remember. I, there was discussion around about that around that Origins. Uh, Mark Herman, I'm pretty sure, was at that Origins. Um, he was the the Victory Games dude, um, the impresario of the head of Victory Games. Um, but it was clearly a discussion that some we need to have a way to play. Um, we need to have a way to play Squad Leader as uh, a solo game, and they got one of the best designers that ever has lived, uh, John Butter, one of the most innovative and creative designers that's ever lived, to uh, John Butterfield, to design it. And uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's. <clears throat> I think it's a tremendous game. I I I don't think there's going to ever be anything like it ever again. Um, why why that, isn't it? Why isn't it like an ongoing? concern like what it, what do you mean well now that I, I think solitaire board gaming is undergoing a resurgence like why yeah. aren't people mimicking if not just straight out reviving so ambush? bruce probably has more uh insight into this but i'll so i'll let him talk but first i just want to oh. say what i've read real quickly about it is that designing ambush was so laborious and yes. so difficult because there's uh so much that goes into kind of quote unquote programming what happens on these hexes and it's not just it's not a static map where if you move on to hex e6 in this scenario this thing always happens okay. rather there's a system where the condition of the uh the engagement increases over the course of the scenario yeah. and so like if you walk onto a hex during condition one Nothing might happen, but if you walk onto a hex during condition three, something might happen, and it's just so elaborate and detailed that I think it was uh, so hard to design scenarios for it that they that kind of nobody else has taken up the torch. But Bruce, do you have any additional insight into that? Yeah, Tony, I think you nailed it. I mean, I, I don't really have all I can say about the game is that, well, <clears throat> a couple of things. One, the the current um, way that games are released is is just a two. Uh, frenetic a release schedule for something it, it, it's the the time it would take i i actually talked to eric lee smith about this um who was also at victory games and he said that you know they had they basically were running these sort of algorithms on you know they they had to write uh things on uh whatever their you know ps junior pc junior or whatever the hell they had at the time their amigas um to try to just uh you know, run through these things and 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 the amount of playtesting it took uh, is just I don't think it's really consistent with with the business model of gaming these days. Plus, it's a game that is very fiddly. Um, I don't think it's a solitaire game, but I think there are a lot of people that are are um, solitaire games that sell are not going to be this game. Uh, I think it has now been, and this is important. I think it's been sort of 
not obsoleted, but the level of fog of war that this tries to um, to emulate is already in uh, PC games. Now, there aren't really very many good PC games of this sort, but it it really is. It's a very uh, it's a very hard game to design, and it runs out of steam at some point, right? I mean, you do all all the scenarios, and once once you play them over, you start getting to to, to it. it, it the, the doesn't have a lot of replay, replay mm. value. Mm. Uh, I I have to say, Bruce, you said there's not a lot of PC games that that are like this. I would say there's no PC games that are like this. Um, yeah, I mean, it, what is it? Eighty uh, second Airborne or whatever, hundred and first. Yeah, uh, but that's yeah. from what nineteen ninety. Yeah, that's true. That's fine. Yeah, I I mean, yes, that's it's it's true that there are, um, but you know that that stuff also kind of was. I mean, XCOM kind of built on that. There's also actually a game called, called Burden of Command, which is now coming out, which I think is going to be a little bit different. Um, but yeah, fair point, fair point. But I, I just feel like, I don't know, that that game came out at a time when so many people were looking for exactly that. And even then it didn't, I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was a huge sales hit. I have to ask Mark Herman about that. Um it's a really tough game to design. You have to really sit down, and and the way that games are play tested these days, oh my god! Um, I mean, you, they're all they're distributed play testing, right? I mean, this is a game where you got to sit in a room and pour over the map and figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And I just I just wonder if it's if that if the design process of this game is really consistent with how the hobby works these days. But I could be wrong. I mean, I'm I have no idea. Can you still no, get I'm copies sure, of sure Ambush? I mean, sure, you can buy them anywhere you want. You just have to pay. I mean, you can get anything, dude. I mean, you could get a mix. No, no, but I mean, like can you flies. get it like for less? Okay, can you get a basic? Could I sit down and play Ambush for less than a hundred dollars? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Oh. Okay, well, how good can Tom, it be then? I would love, I would love for you to uh, try Ambush. I think you'd really enjoy it. I definitely, it's, it, I would play Ambush long before I would even consider touching Advanced Squad Leader. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or Gloomhaven. Right. Or, uh, Ooh, uh, mm, no, it'd be a toss-up. It'd be a tough choice. Tough, Look into ambush or pick or break out Gloomhaven. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, Advanced Wilder is definitely not for you. There's no way that is NFTC. Not. For I, I think you're just saying that to to goad me into trying it. Uh-huh. And it just might work. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Garrick, what's something that you've been playing that's not Advanced Squad Leader? Oh. Um, well, I, I, there are, there's several things I've been playing, but one thing I should uh, I should mention that I think that many of the listeners would uh, recognize and maybe have played is called Australia. Why the are sec- you hitting the Z so hard? What's up with that? It's capital. It's a second in the. Uh, it's a second in Martin Wallace's series of uh, capitalized Z games. Uh, uh, hit Z Road was the first one. And- <laughs> to Z mm-hmm. referencing zombies, of course. Uh, no, it's not. There are no zombies in Australia. Yes, there are. No, there aren't. Have you played this game Australia, Garrick? Yeah, I mean, there's a zombie, but it's not about zombies. It's about uh, right, well, there's zomb- right, but there's zombies in it. Like that's okay, here's one of my zombie. things with uh, Martin Wallace's theming. Like, I don't think Martin Wallace knows that. It, I don't want to be a jerk here, but I don't think Martin Wallace gets Lovecraft, which is actually true of ninety percent of the people making Lovecraft themed right. board games. So that's who, no who ding against Lovecraft, by the way. Who does get Lovecraft? Yeah, you know, you know what's really sad, Garrick. Someone who doesn't get Lovecraft in board gaming, Sandy Peterson. Hey, wait, he invented Lovecraft. I know. He did all the uh, 
Chaosium uh, Call of Cthulhu game. I know, it's really sad to see him doing these, like, worker placement games in this big, crazy, mm. hey, what if Cthulhu fights Nyarlathotep? Yeah. Uh, Cthulhu Wars, I, I just, I, I mean, those are fine, but I think they have so little to do with Lovecraft. Well, um, that's how I kind of feel about Australia because I, yeah. it, it's, it, it's a weird game where you have this sort of, like, landscape that's, you know, it's all, there's a lot of coast, and there's some inland stuff, and so you're in Australia, in Australia, and uh, you're some kind of, you know, I don't know, rancher or something. You're trying to extract <laughs> minerals or anything. And then you, I, I think, I mean, it, it's just, it seems odd. It's like you're you're building, everybody's like trying to get, an, oh, look at that. There's like a deep water. So like a, you know. All right, Eric, kind of... okay. You didn't, obviously you didn't read the lore at the front of the manual. And mm. part of why it's in the study of Emerald Universe, Neil Gaiman wrote Study in Emerald, uh, a short story. Mm-hmm. The conceit being that a thousand years ago, uh, druids or whoever let the old ones into the earth. The old ones had to take over the earth and progress it far enough where humanity could annihilate itself. Uh, so they had to basically rule humanity for a thousand years, and then the Industrial Revolution comes around. But, oh, the Restorationists win, and they restore humanity to Europe. What if that happened? The Restorationists won. Europe and the New World, were uh, America, were, were, were saved from the old ones. Uh, and then people went to colonize Australia. You know, those people who had just secured the old and new world from the Lovecraftian creatures that have been ruling for a thousand years, they went to colonize Australia and discover, as you pointed out, oh, look, there's deep ones, there's Cthulhu, there's a temple, there's some cultists uh, in the middle of uh, Australia in the outback there. So there's the yeah. backstory. That's why That's you great. find That's them. That's great. That's a great backstory. That, that also actually illustrates my, my biggest problem with all Cthulhu games, which is that, I mean – how could the Cthulhu can destroy anything? Why does anybody even right. like Azathoth is something at the center of the universe? I mean, he could eat the earth and just not even notice. I mean, how, how does stuff even work? It to just, be fair, yeah. uh, uh, in uh, in Lovecraft, like when someone actually met Cthulhu, they drove a boat into yes. him. And that's <laughs> exactly. how it beat him. Right. Yes, right. Yeah. So right. just poke him with your yacht and well, you'll it, be fine. <laughs> but then he just kind of went away. I mean, he was just like, ah, I'm bored. This right, is, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but so. Yeah, I, I I don't really get that. So I played this with our with our mutual friend HQ, uh, who we call HQ because of his love for Hero Quest. He can't get enough um, of that. Yeah, he yeah, thinks it's, it's the best weird. game of all time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he may have a point. There's a video that that uh, makes a pretty good uh, case for it. That video but, did win me over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a video. We'll have a link to that at the bottom of the podcast. Um, so it, it just it it's he and I played it, and I just felt like. It seemed so. The theme seemed kind of tacked on, or it, and it's not even tacked on. I mean, it, I I like the idea that you. It's a rail building game where you don't have any any stocks or bonds or anything. You just kind of place your tracks, and then you pick up the stuff that's there, and then like, oh, and then the monsters move, right. and then I have to. He has an interesting um, like combat system, combat resolution system, which. I mean, I think I kind of like, although I, I hate the fact that he says, you know, this is good against this, but poor against that. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, I, it's, I, can't, I don't know that I can make enough decisions that way, but but it just seems like like you, like you pointed out about uh, Shadows of Brimstone. It just it seems kind of silly. And that's I guess that's my biggest problem with it, because I, I don't feel like I'm not um, I don't know. I, silly doesn't work for me somehow. What do you think? Silly is a good way to put it because Studying Emerald and uh, Brass, mm-hmm. also two very 
solid Martin Wallace designs, neither of those feel silly. Right. Like neither of those has this sort of goofy. Hey, what if? Because uh, you get you also get little sidekicks in Australia that help you and they give you powers. There's like a Sikh guy who has an artillery unit, and uh, there's an Aboriginal scout, and uh, there's right. a. I mean, it's just just like goofy personas in there, yeah. and it, the artwork doesn't help. And what's silly too is sometimes you're playing, and. Uh, you just randomly like creatures pop up out of the desert and they'll just like plow through your stuff like there's no sense of also like you said about the decisions there's no sense of understanding what something is on the board when you see it it's all right. a matter of how it's expressed based in the cards that flip yeah, up exactly. so the yeah. fact that something is fast or strong or good against artillery or weak against blimps all of that is hidden in the distribution of icons in a deck of cards. Right. So it seems whimsical and silly when I flip up a card and, oh, my artillery killed Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, that, that's the icon that came up. That's what happened. Right. Um, so I respect what he's doing with this idea of, dis of expressing gameplay through the distribution of cards. Like, I love that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just not sure that it, it, it just makes Australia feel awfully capricious when I play yeah. it. Yeah. I'd love to hear what Tony thinks about it, but I think that Tony is also on mute. Yeah, no, I'm not on mute, but I've I've never played Australia. Oh, that sucks. Um, I, I think I it's think... I, I would call it Minor Wallace. I have Minor. played Hit Z Road. Oh, what do you think of that? Um, I mean, it's a it might as well be like a party game. Mm, come on, T Zone. It's a push your luck <laughs> thing. It's a push your luck survival zombie game. Okay, yeah, yeah. You liked it when we played it. No, I did. I'm not saying I didn't like it. I'm oh, oh okay. It's definitely, uh, it, it probably falls into the silly camp. Oh, it's definitely silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Australia. I. It's one of those things that I. I think I just had super high expectations because it was referencing, because it was supposedly a follow-up to Studying Emerald, which it is not in the least. Right. Yeah, I, just, I think it has Martin Wallace. So Martin Walsh is very hit and miss. I mean, I think that. Uh, the the things that that I like by Martin Wallace, um, I mean Martin Wallace definitely. There, I mean, there's a feel to Martin Wallace games, and I, I think the gameplay feels has a is is consistent in in many ways. But uh, I, I think the theming he, he either hits it or he just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Australia. Felt, that's that's one of those games I don't tend to sell a lot of games, but that game I might just sell because i or donate i don't know australia oddly enough i think is it, it it looks like he's it's a light version of two games and you might as well go play one of the other of those and it's i just recently uh got a copy of brass birmingham which is mm -hmm. a uh, update of this game brass he did and mm -hmm. that's that same idea of laying down rail routes and then picking yeah. up stuff and it's super heavy and it's got all these cool clever mechanics in it and it encourages cooperation in a weird way as well as competition and there are these market forces yeah uh and it just seems like such a scaled-down attempt at that going on in Australia. It's like Brass for Dummies, kind of. Or it's like a Brass party game version. On one hand, so Australia is a super slim version of Brass. And on the other hand, Martin Wallace just made a game called Wildlands, which mm -hmm. does that same thing with a deck of card and the distribution of icons expressing gameplay uh, as a two-player tactical uh, combat game, mm -hmm. um, and I like I like Wildlands a lot. Uh, and Wildlands does this idea with the deck of cards that I think he's also trying to do in Australia, 
but I think it's more successful in Wildlands. So don't get Australia. Instead, get Brass on one hand, Wildlands on the other hand. Together, they'll obsolete Australia. Yeah, I played Brass with HQ. I really, I really like that game. Yeah, yeah, Brass is. Tizan, have you played Brass? I think you would like that too. I've never played Brass. Um, I'd like to give it a shot though. We we should make that happen at some point. Yeah, yeah. I agree. All right. Thank you guys so much for uh, joining me today. The listeners, there you go. Shadows of Brimstone, uh, Ambush, Australia. I guess Advanced Squad Leader as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Come on back in two weeks. Uh, Mike and Hassan will be back then. Until then, I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Tony Carnavale and Bruce Garrick. Thanks for listening.